Everybody doing well? You look good. We're glad you're here. And I'm super excited to be a part of this series that we're doing, Out of Darkness. Uh, If you've missed any part of this series, I encourage you to hop on Facebook. You can watch it uh, our previous weeks or listen to the website or hop on our website and you can listen to the podcast. Uh, This has been an awesome, awesome series. And the whole point of this series, if you've missed any part of it, is overcoming life's greatest struggles with the help and strength that God can give us. Amen. If you have missed any part or if you've been here this uh, throughout this series, you know that's exactly where we want to land every single week. And so today's going to be no different. Today we're going to talk about something that uh, is a struggle for me. In fact, this week it was funny as I was preparing and getting ready to talk about what we're going to talk about. Uh, my alternator went out in my car this week. Anybody ever had that, 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 these struggles? Like the, the, I woke up Thursday morning, the tire was flat in my car before I left to go to work. My air conditioner broke this week. Like I can just keep on going, right? Anyone else have a week kind of like that? Yeah. And uh, I just thought, you know what, God, this is so fitting. I'm so glad I'm studying this today, this week, because otherwise I don't think I'd be ready. But um, we're going to talk about something that Jesus looked at his disciples and said, fellas, I do not want you to do this thing. This isn't one of those things that like you talk to your kids and you, you say, hey, you know what, don't do this. Like, hey, don't pick your nose in public, right? I mean, like, hey, wait till you get in private, okay? You know, it's, like, it's not one of those things, right? It's not a social taboo, okay? Jesus isn't making some good suggestion like, oh, you know, I mean, hey, you, if you guys do this, it's not a big deal, but you really shouldn't. Like, it's not going to be helpful for you, so don't do it, but it, it's not a big deal if you don't. Like, this is one of those things that Jesus looked at his disciples and literally said, fellas, do not do this thing. And what we're going to talk about today is when he said, do not worry. Do not worry. You know, this is a very interesting idea because it seems on face value, like how seemingly absurd of a command is that? Do not worry. I mean, think about it. If you and I are having a conversation with one another and you're pouring your heart out to me, I mean, you're telling, man, my marriage is struggling. My kids are doing this and now I've got financial issues. I've got this going on at work and all these things. And I just stopped right in the middle of it. And I said, well, you know what? Do not worry about it. Well, yeah, but Michael, but I am worried about it. I'm, I've got this. I don't know what's going to happen next. So, hey, well, hey, just don't worry about it. Like, well, no, seriously, Michael, you're not getting this. Like, hey, hey, just don't worry about it. Like, how do you think you would respond to me if that's like, do you think you would just turn around and say, man, I'm so glad you gave me that advice. You know what? Let me just flip the switch and I'll turn off my worry and I just won't worry anymore. I'm so glad you told me that, Michael. It seems so crazy and absurd. And yet Jesus looked at his disciples and said, fellas, do not worry. Now, it seems so crazy for us to be able to think about it in those terms. And yet, when we begin to think about why Jesus, because that's the question, like, Jesus, how could you say such a thing? But here's the reason why I think Jesus could command such a thing. It's because Jesus knew something. He knew something that every single one of us in this room knows. But oftentimes we forget. And most of the time we forget during stressful situations going on in our lives. In fact, if we could summarize Jesus' teaching on this whole subject, I could do it in the form of five questions that we'll just go through very quickly and and, and see if this begins to help you understand why Jesus could issue such a command. The first one is this, number one. The first question is, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to anyone's life? Who of you have ever looked at somebody else and said, man, the only reason that they're still alive today is because I worried 10 years ago? Question number two, who of you by worrying have probably taken a year off of your own life? Anyway, maybe a few loose hairs, some gray hairs. Yeah, I totally get that. It's all right. It's okay. We're all in the same boat. Question number three, who of you by worrying are driving people in your own lives out of their minds? Anyone? Yeah, I'm getting a few nudges there. It's real quiet on that one. Not too many laughter on there. 
Question number four. Who of you by worrying have ever upgraded your wardrobe or reduced your grocery bill? How many of you have ever thought, man, we saved $300 on our grocery bill last month all because I worried about it? No, none of us. Finally, number five. Who of you by worrying have added value to what you value most? See, when we begin to think about these questions, we begin to understand exactly why Jesus could issue this command, don't we? Because what Jesus knew that every single one of us knows, but we oftentimes forget during times of stress, is that worry accomplishes nothing in our lives, does it? It doesn't help us at all. It is only a negative response in our lives. It never produces any of these things in our lives. So the real problem for us this morning is not that we shouldn't worry. Like, we totally get that. When Jesus says, do not worry, we understand. Say, okay, I understand that I shouldn't worry, Jesus. But the problem and the big question is, how? How do I not worry? Okay, Jesus, I get that. You don't want me to worry, but how do I go through life not worrying? I can't just flip a switch. So how do I not worry? And that's the question that I want us to answer this morning. So if you have your mobile devices or if you have a Bible with you, if there's one in the seat in front of you, pull it out and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. We call it a book, but really it is a first century biography uh, about the life of Jesus of Nazareth written by one of his disciples, Matthew, who is an eyewitness to the life of of Jesus, the things that he did, the miracles that he did, and all these things. So he writes this biography about the life of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have what's famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, this is sort of Jesus's, Mr. Holland's opus. You know, this is his, his, his main, like, if you could summarize what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus living in the kingdom of God, this is what it would be, Okay. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6. Now, just kind of bringing us up to speed real quick. Because Jesus has just been laying out in the previous chapter and in the previous passages. He's been laying out for his listeners, his followers. He's been saying, listen, he's been, he's been talking about their public life and their private life. He's been talking about, hey, listen, when you help the needy, when you help the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which is sort of a play on words to be able to say, hey, look, don't announce it to everybody, okay? Like when you help somebody out, you don't need to go on Facebook and tell the whole world because that's your reward and you're not going to be rewarded by your Father in heaven, right? If Jesus was here, that's, I think, you get that? You with me? Okay, so he says, listen, so when you do that, and listen, even when you pray, he says, like, walk, check your motives, okay? Like, if you're praying out loud and all this stuff just so people can hear you, so they can be impressed by all your great words, he says, then you're missing the point and you've just re- received your reward. So go in your room, close the door, pray quietly, and your Father in heaven will see it and reward you, right? So Jesus is talking about all these things, and then he also talks about our motives. When he says, listen, your treasure should not be treasure on earth. Don't build up treasure on earth. Build up treasure in heaven, right? Where moth and rust and thieves can't steal or, or take away. And so all this stuff he's laid out. And then he comes to the point that we're going to come to in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse 25. He says, therefore, remember, what is it? He's connecting everything he's just said about our whole lives in light of all that. Here's what I want you to do. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Underline that phrase or circle it however you want to, because that's a phrase you're going to hear over and over In this passage, he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Now, Jesus takes us right there at the very beginning of this passage. We're just going to kind of walk through it this morning and unpack it for us this morning. But Jesus lays out, he goes right to the heart of what worry is all about. Worry is about later, isn't it? He says, don't worry about what you will 
eat, what you will wear, or what you will drink. Worry is about later. It's about things that we don't yet know about. It's about things that are unknown to us. Don't worry about what you will do. And Jesus picks these three things out. I think it's easy for us to be able to think of clothes and food and, and drink and, and just go, oh, okay, well, yeah, they, they had different worries than us, and they did. The reason why Jesus chose those three things is because those were the three primary concerns of people in the first century. I mean, think about it. If After church today, none of us are probably worried about what we're going to eat, are we? I mean, the only thing we're worried about is like getting in a fight over which restaurant we're going to go to, right? I mean, I'm going to leave service today, and I'm gonna, I can pick from a thousand different restaurants, from cuisine from all over the world, or I can go home where I have a pantry and a fridge full of food, right? I'm not worried about what I'm going to eat. In fact, I'm not worried about what I'm going to drink, and I don't think you are either, because we spend hundreds of dollars every year watering our grass so it can be green. We're not worried about what we're going to drink, are we? And we're not worried about our clothes either. I mean, we might be like, hey, I want to stay in fashion or something like that. But the truth is, is we're not worried about what we're going to wear. We give away more clothes every year than what some people have in their entire lives around the world, right? We're not worried about that. So the people in the first century might well look at us and say, man, you guys must not have any worries at all. You guys must have this carefree life. You're not worried about any of those things. And yet we know that's not true, is it? Because we'd say, oh, Michael, I've got this bill that's got to be paid. And I don't know, I don't know, like the numbers are not adding up here. My marriage is struggling and I've got some real issues that, that my spouse and I are trying to work out. I don't know if they're going to be here tomorrow. I've got this test that I've got to get done. I, I've got this tuition bill that needs to get paid. I've got retirement that I'm trying to set up and I don't know if I'm going to be ready for it. I've got aging parents that I don't know how I'm going to be able to take care of them and take care of my family at the same time, right? Like we have issues in our lives that we worry about, don't we? And yet Jesus still said, do not worry. Let's look at how he keeps going here. He says in the second part of that verse, he says, is not life. And this is so brilliant. Oh, this is so brilliant. Jesus is amazing. Okay, if you haven't figured that out yet. Jesus, listen, I love it when Jesus makes a statement but makes the statement in the form of a question. It's as if Jesus is leading us to this point that he's trying to get us to get to, right? Okay, you with me? All right, look at this question. He says, is not life more important than food? And the body more important than clothes. Think of where he's trying to lead us to in that question. He's like, look, look isn't life more important? It's, if, it's as if Jesus is saying, look, if you could take all your worry and, and that thing that you're worried about, if you could bring it down front and center, and this is the thing that you're worried about. He says, is not life greater than that thing that you're worried about? Is not life in all of its complexity in all of its emotions, in all of its experiences, in all of its ups and downs, its ebbs and flow from birth through childhood, through teenage years and the experiences you have in those years. And then your young adults, your first job, you get married, your first kids and all your kids, raising your kids, going on into full adulthood and then going on into church. He says, look, isn't life greater than that thing that you're worried about? Because what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, when you worry, when you worry about that Facebook comment that somebody made about you last night. When you worry about what someone else thinks about you, it's as if you're equating all of life with that thing that is temporary, that will pass, that you're worried about. Are you with me? I think all of us would probably go, well, yeah, Jesus, yeah, I I understand why I shouldn't worry because life is greater. Let's keep going. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. Now, I I might have to at that moment have said, really, Jesus? Like, 
Do you not know what I'm dealing with? Like, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that in my life. I've got this going on. And you want me to stop and look at the birds? Like, who does that? You know, I'm not a bird watcher. But watch Jesus. So brilliant. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow. They do not reap. They don't store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. That is an incredible, incredible statement. Let let me just say, in fact, let let me just tell you before we talk about what Jesus is saying, let's make sure and emphasize what Jesus is not saying, okay? Jesus is not advocating for irresponsibility in our lives. Can, Can we make sure and establish that, okay? Jesus is not advocating for a lack of planning or preparation for the future, okay? He's not saying, hey, don't worry, man, don't worry about it. Don't worry about studying for that test. Don't worry about that class. Don't worry about that job interview. You don't need to get yourself all cleaned up and in your nice clothes and then go to the job interview. Hey, you know what? Just be irresponsible. Don't worry about it. And then just trust God to reward you. That is not what Jesus is saying. Because what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, you... You, as, as mankind, with the image of God stamped on your life, he says, you have this great advantage over the rest of creation. And he's using birds as an example. Maybe because he's sitting on a hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Maybe a flock of birds flew by. I don't know. But he's saying, listen, you have this incredible advantage over the rest of creation in that you have the ability to anticipate tomorrow. You have the ability to anticipate anticipate the future. You have the ability to plan ahead. Look at the birds of the air. They don't, they don't sow. They don't reap. They don't store away in barns for the wintertime, right? And yet, he says, your heavenly Father is able to provide for them. In other words, what he's saying is God gives them the wherewithal to feed themselves. And he says, you have this advantage over the rest of creation. And that while on the one hand, you have the ability to anticipate the future, on the flip side of that same coin means that we also have the ability to worry about the future, don't we? So Jesus keeps going. He's building this case, okay? We're just walking through it, okay? He's building this case for us this morning. So look at, uh, look at the second part of verse 26. Again, here's this great question. Are you not much more valuable than they are? I think we'd go, yes, Jesus, I understand that I am more valuable than the birds. And if God, my father, is able to provide for them, then how much more so is he able to do so for me? Verse 27, coming back to one of our questions we talked about earlier. So who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Time is one of the most valuable resources that we have, isn't it? It's the one thing that we can't get back, right? And Jesus is, in essence, asking us, Who of you, by worrying about it, can add value to what you value most? Look at verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? He's just continuing to build this case. See how the lilies of the field grow. Okay, so he's gone from birds now to lilies in the field. He says, they do not labor. They do not spin. In other words, they don't have any way of anticipating the future. They don't worry about tomorrow. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon, the wisest and most richest, greatest king in Israel's history, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is thrown into the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And what's funny is what Jesus actually says here in the original language, it's kind of funny. I think he's kind of being humorous with him, like he's not trying to slam him or anything. But Jesus literally in the original language says, O you little faithers, you. says, Look, look at the flowers of the field. Look at God provides all them and man, and yet he takes care of them. How much more so will he do you? Oh, you little faithers, you. 
I don't know, maybe I'll say that to my kids or something, just see how it responds, I don't know. But think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is taking us to the very epicenter of what worry is about. Worry is about later, that's true. But worry is ultimately about trust, isn't it? Worry is about confidence. Worry is about reliance and who you rely on. Worry is about faith. Worry is about, do I trust that God, that I have been invited into this relationship to call him my heavenly father, who takes care of the birds of the air, even though they can't anticipate the future, who provides and clothes the lilies of the field, which are far more beautiful than the greatest king in Israel, and yet they don't have any way to anticipate the future. If this is the relationship and the person I've been invited into a relationship with to call my father, how much more so am I willing to trust him rather than trust myself or anything else? That's what worry is ultimately about. Who will you trust? That's the point Jesus is trying to get us to understand. Look at this next part in verse 31. He says, so do not worry. Again, there's that phrase, circle it, highlight it. We see it again. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Again, future tense, right? All of these things. He says, for the pagans run after all of these things. Now, this is not some way that Jesus, Jesus is not trying to be like, he's not using some derogatory term, okay? All the pagans out there. What, he's, what Jesus is referring to is he's talking about people who have not yet realized that they have been invited to step into a relationship with God that they can now call their heavenly father, who if he takes care of the birds, takes care of the lilies, he's also able to provide for us. That's who he's talking about here. Okay, you with me? So he says, the pagans run after all of these things. And that phrase, run after, is very unique because it's the exact same phrase that Jesus uses in the very next verse when he says, seek first. It's the exact same phrase. We render it differently in the English, but in the original language, it's the exact same phrase. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, look, the pagans, people who who don't realize they've been invited into this relationship with God to call him their heavenly father to provide for them, he says, they run after all these things, clothing and, and, and all these physical, tangible things, all these things that they don't yet realize that God can provide for them. But look at what he says. Look at what he responds to this in this next part. And he says, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, let me just ask you a question. Tonight, actually, let's, let's bring it up a little closer. When you walk out those doors, the things that you came in concerned about before you came in are going to be waiting on you. Newsflash, right? Hearing this message coming to church, this doesn't wash everything away, right? When the high of this message comes down throughout this afternoon, and you put your head down at night tonight, and you begin to anticipate the future. You begin to think about tomorrow and the week ahead. And you think about your marriage and your kids and your work and everything else. And all of that begins to settle on you. In that moment when you're tempted to begin to worry about what is unknown to you. What if, in that moment, your Heavenly Father audibly whispered in your ear, I know. Yeah, but, but God, I, like, do you understand? Like, I, I don't know what's... I know. But God, I don't... I know. Wouldn't that be 90% of the battle? 
Wouldn't that be 90% of the battle? Because then you know that my heavenly father, who takes care of the birds, who takes care of the flowers, he knows what I need for tomorrow. He knows what you need. Let's keep going. Finally, verse 31, this is the crux. This is the crux of the passage where Jesus shifts from building his case. Like, okay, I get this, Jesus. Do not worry. Okay, I'm right there with you. Okay, I don't want to do that. What should I do instead? Here's where we go. Verse 31. He says, but seek first. It's the same phrase that he used for the pagans, right? They run after all these things. It's as if Jesus is comparing and contrasting and saying, pagans run after all these other things, but you as my followers have a much higher calling. You have a much higher desire and you should refocus your things, not for earthly things, but look at what he says. He says, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. In other words, Jesus is saying, you have to be intentional. You have to be purposeful about what you're going to run after. You need to prioritize God's kingdom, God's will, and his purposes on this earth in your life. And if you will do that, then you take care of God's kingdom and God will take care of your kingdom. Are you with me? That's what we should be doing. And the one thing, if you can, if you can walk away with this, here, here's the one thing that I would want you to walk away with this morning. It, it, simply is you can fill this blank in your notes and it's this. Is that when you're tempted, well, actually, you know what? Let's hold off on that. I want to come back to that here in just a moment because I want to cover this last verse here real quick. Let's go to verse 34. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. This is so good of Jesus. He goes on, he says, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In other words, Jesus is not giving some pie in the sky kind of a teaching, right? He's not just saying, hey, don't worry and God will take care of it and just some up there kind of a thing. He's acknowledging that we have concerns, right? He's acknowledging that we have things that we might be worried about. So here's here's what normally happens. What naturally happens is we don't just wake up every single day just trusting that God is gonna meet us in tomorrow. That just doesn't naturally come happen for us. It's not on autopilot, which is why Jesus says we have to intentionally run after, seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't just naturally happen because here's what naturally happens for us. And the reason I know this about you is because I know this about me, is that what we naturally do is in the middle of today, we reach out into tomorrow, we grab tomorrow's worries and concerns and drag them into today, and we allow them to hijack our emotions and hijack our thoughts and take over our experiences and our attitude of today, rather than leaving them in tomorrow and trusting them with our Heavenly Father. Is anyone else in the room identify with that besides me? So here's the one thing. Here's here's the point that I want to bring this up to you. And it's this. When you're tempted to borrow from tomorrow, look for ways to see what God wants to do in your life today. Look for ways to participate in what God is doing today. When you're tempted, when you're in the middle of today, and you're tempted to look ahead and to drag tomorrow's concerns into today, be intentional about not doing this and saying, God, what can I do for your kingdom today? Because you can't do anything about tomorrow, can you? We can do something about today. And I want to give you a few practical things that you can be able to do in your life. Things that I have learned, things that I have listened to people things that I have engaged with even in my own life. But before we do that, I want to briefly take just a moment and I want to sort of anticipate an objection. 
Because I feel like when we hear a message like this, sometimes we, like, we want to be able to make objections and we want to say, well, yeah, but, yeah, 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 but this. And yeah, but Michael, that. And so maybe for some of you this morning, you've been having some arguments in your head with me this morning, like this whole time that I've been preaching, right? And you've been arguing with me about it in your head. And, and of course, you're winning that argument, you know? And so, so I'm sitting here like, oh my gosh, I, didn't, I had no idea. I better, not, I better quit the ministry, you know? I mean, right? I mean, like you're winning that battle. That's okay. Because you're saying, Michael, you have no idea what's going on in my life. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. And what you want me to do, if I can say this, if if this can be maybe the wound of a friend, not the kiss of an enemy, is you want me to issue this pass to you. So that you can be able to, I can write it out for you and you can kind of go sit in the past section so that you can walk out the door still clinging to what you're worried about because obviously Jesus, the Son of God, what you're dealing with is so much bigger than what he had in mind. But I want to ask you two questions, if that's your objection. The first question is this. The first question is, what, why would you not believe this? Let me, in fact, let me ask you, what if you believe this? What if you believe this message today? What if you walked out those doors today and you began to put this message into practice to say, you know what? If God, who is able to take care of the birds of the air and take care of the lilies of the field, if he's able to do all of that, and yet I have been invited into this relationship with him to call him my heavenly father, and he knows what I need, and all I need to do is trust that God will continue to guide me. What if I believe that? How would that impact your life? And why not believe it? That would be the second question. Why would you choose not to believe this? Because if if worry is ultimately all about trust and it's ultimately all about confidence and faith in God, then in essence, when we choose not to trust in our Heavenly Father, then we are choosing to trust in worry. And every single one of us in the room knows that that gets us nowhere, does it? I mean, think about it. If I came in here today and my whole message was trust in worry, trust in worry with all of your heart, Don't lean on your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge worry, and worry will make your path straight. You would look at me and go, you are crazy. Because nobody walks around singing, worry, worry, you make the darkness tremble, right? Nobody walks around singing, worry's got the whole world in its hands. Because every single one of us in this room knows that worry gets us nowhere. We've been down that road before, haven't we? We, we've been down that pathway before where we worried, 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 worried about this, and we worried about everything, and it got us nowhere, right? We've been down that road before. So why would we choose not to believe and trust in this message today? Because the fact of the matter is, is we've all been down those roads where we've worried about something, and it either didn't happen, and so therefore we just sat back and said, well, I wasted all this time. I worried and caused all this stress, and then whatever I was worried about didn't even happen. But you know what the truth of the matter is moving forward is that even if, we, if there's something we don't know about and we're worrying about it, even if it does end up happening, guess what? Your Heavenly Father will be waiting on you in tomorrow when it does. So let me give you a couple of quick applications. These are things that, these are things that I have done this week, but especially there was this point in the springtime this year that some of these things every single day for me was a daily, daily occurrence in order to keep moving forward with what I felt like God was doing in my life. The first one is this, number one, begin your day declaring your trust. Begin your day 
declaring your trust. These are so simple. These aren't things that you're going to walk away going, oh my goodness, I never thought about that before. But we so often forget it. There were times in the springtime that I would wake up, Jacqueline would be getting ready, and I would be in kind of our bedroom by myself, and I would wake up, and, and I would turn sideways, and I would put my feet on the edge of the bed. And before I would literally put my feet on the carpet, I would say, God, I'm trusting you with this. Fill in the blank. God, I'm trusting you with this. Audibly, I would say, and I would say over, God, I'm trusting you today with this. God, I'm trusting you today with this. I'm not going to worry about this, God. I'm trusting that you have my back. God, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry. That's how I would start about my first 30, 45 seconds of the day. See, for those of you in this room that maybe have this predisposition towards worry and anxiety, I'm on your side of the fence here. This is something that I struggle with personally. This isn't just some pie-in-the-sky idea. Begin your day. Be intentional about declaring your trust. Number two. Number two is get in the habit of relabeling your worry as tomorrow. Get in the habit of relabeling your worry as tomorrow. You're not worried about your marriage. You're worried about tomorrow. You're not worried about you know, your finances. You're worried about tomorrow. And here's, here's the reasons why I would challenge you to do this. The first reason that I would challenge you to do this is because when you relabel it, it strips it of all of its power over you. Because it helps to shape your perspective to remember that, yes, I'm worried about this specific situation, but ultimately it's about tomorrow. It's about something that I can't do anything about yet. So why should I waste my time, my energy, my stress levels, and all of that? Why should I sacrifice my attitude on the altar of worry when I can't do anything about it yet? So I'm going to choose to trust. I'm going to relabel it as tomorrow and say, God, you know what it is. I'm worrying about tomorrow. The second reason I would challenge you to do this is because if all of us determine to do this, then it will remind you that you're not the only one who's worrying about something. That there is a whole group of people here, just as Pastor Kyle said a moment ago in worship. Everything may be going great in your life, but the person next to you may be struggling in darkness. It reminds us that we're not alone. And finally, number three, the third thing would be this. When you worry about tomorrow, it's exactly that same big thing. When you worry about tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is doing today. Look for a way to impact somebody else's life. Keep your eyes open, recognizing that it may not just be you that's dealing with things, but it may be somebody else that God is directly putting you in the path of so that you can in turn be a help to them. So as we wrap up this morning, you know, when Jesus was wrapping up his time on earth, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, and before his ascension into heaven, he called, his, he called his disciples to him. And he said, here's what I want you guys to do. He said, I want you to, to go. I want you to go into all the world. And I want you to teach them everything I have commanded you. Now, when Jesus, after his ascension, they didn't have the New Testament like what we have today. The Gospels, the New Testament letters from Paul and Peter and John and James and Jude and so forth. Those things were still decades away from being written. They didn't have what we have today. All they had were the teachings of Jesus, some stories about Jesus' miracles, some eyewitness accounts, and that was about it. And yet, 30 years later, the Apostle Paul, from house arrest in Rome, basically in prison, wrote a letter to the church in the ancient city of Philippi. 
And he wrote to them a very similar idea from what Jesus said on the Mount of Beatitudes. Here's what he said, Philippians chapter four in verse eight. He said, do not be anxious about anything. Sound familiar? Don't be anxious. Don't, don't worry about anything. But in everything, in prayer and petition, with thanksgiving in your heart. Why thanksgiving? Because we've been invited into this relationship with our Heavenly Father who knows what we need. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, I love this, and the peace of God which transcends, which passes, which far exceeds anything we could imagine. All understanding will guard your hearts, your emotions, and will guard your minds, your thoughts in Christ Jesus. The peace that comes from having enough money in the bank, the peace that comes from having a great marriage and all your life all together, the peace that comes whenever you know you've got everything set up in job security and you don't have any worries in life? No. The peace of God, which will pass all of our understanding. The peace that comes when we know that we can call upon our Heavenly Father who knows what we need and if He can take care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field who can't anticipate tomorrow, but we are far more valuable than they are. That is the peace of God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you know what we need. You know the cares of every single person in this room today. Some have come in with very heavy burdens on their backs today. And you know. You know their struggle. You know that weight. You know what it's costing them. You know what it's doing to them emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. But you have not left us alone. You have called us to yourself. And today you are drawing us near to remind us that we can come to you and make our petitions known with thanksgiving in our heart, knowing that you have got our back. So Lord, I pray today that you would help us to lay our worries at your feet, to lay these burdens at the feet of Jesus. And instead of picking them up and walking out the door with them today, we would pick up the peace of God. Let it pass all of our understanding that whether our situation changes or not, we know that you are in control, that you love us and you care for us, and that life is so much greater than that thing that we're worried about. So help us to lay it at your feet. Help us to sacrifice it on the, on the altar of grace. Extend your grace. Extend your mercy, your strength, your hope, your peace to each of our hearts today. So that no matter what happens in our lives, we can rest assured that you know that you are near and that you are here. That there is nothing that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your love in Jesus' name.